You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their full line of knives and game processing kits. Now imagine this, you're in the backcountry, you just shot a deer. Number one, it's hot. Number two, you're a long way from the truck, so you have to start breaking down the animal immediately. As you're doing this, the knife becomes dull. Instead of taking time to stop what you're doing and sharpen your blade, all you have to do with an Outdoor Edge replaceable knife blade is pop it out through their push-button system, put the blade, the new blade back in, and get back to work. You get back to the truck. No meat is wasted, and it's a good day for everybody. So if you want to find out more information about Outdoor Edge and their lineup of knives and game processing kits, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And also, when you purchase, use the discount code NATION30 to save 30% off your purchase. OutdoorEdge.com. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of time plus 1% of money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and money back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. And this is episode six. Now, on today's episode, I am joined by Zach Snyder of Michigan. Um, Zach is a is a very interesting story because while living in, in southeast Michigan here, uh, actually pretty close to where I live, um, the the opportunity to recreate outdoors uh, are kind of few and far between. Uh, but Zach has not let that stop him. Uh, he serves on the board of two different. Uh, conservation organizations here in Michigan, as well as being a committee member for 2% for Conservation for for this region. Uh, Zach is all about, you know, making a difference and making a change wherever he can. I mean, a lot of the work that he's doing and the land that he's doing his work on um, is really, it's not even area where he recreates. So it really speaks a lot um, about Zach's character and, and how he views conservation and how important it is to him. Uh, it was a really fun conversation. Um, actually, one of the con- uh, one of the organizations that Zach is a part of is Michigan United Conservation Clubs, uh, MUCC, here in Michigan, where he serves on the policy board. Uh, and actually, starting um, July first, so yesterday, uh, I started a collaboration project with MUCC, where we're doing a co-branded T-shirt 
Um, and 10% of all sales from those t-shirts will go directly back to MUCC, uh, along with all with along with 10% of all sales from July through September. Uh, we'll go back to MUCC uh, as well. So if you guys are looking for um, for a t-shirt, if you want to support uh, local conservation here in Michigan, uh, definitely be sure to check out the website, theaverageconservationist.com, uh, and be sure to, to pick up a shirt and, and help support um, <clears throat> local conservation here in Michigan. If you're, if you're a resident or if not, and you just like the t-shirt, definitely be sure to pick one up. Um, so fun conversation with Zach. Uh, check it out. All right. On the phone with me, I am joined by my fellow Michigander, Zach Snyder. Zach, how's it going, man? Pretty good. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing well. So for those of you at home, this is like the fourth time that Zach and I have tried to start this. We keep getting cut off like 30 seconds into our conversation. So this is as far as we've made it so far. So let's uh, let's hope everything stays uh, stays working. Yep. You know, so Zach, it's funny. Um, you and I first met back in uh, late February, early March at an outdoor show here in Michigan. Um, and yep. I think at that time you at least had heard of the average conservationist um, through social media and whatnot. So uh, you had approached me and, and introduced yourself. And, and at that time I was familiar with 2% for conservation. Uh, and you had, when you introduced yourself, uh, you know, told me that you were a committee member for 2% for conservation and uh, you know, told me a little bit more about it. Um, and then now it, it's funny how things kind of come full circle because here we are, you know, four months later and, uh, my, my company is, is now certified, uh, 2% for conservation certified. Uh, and you're on the podcast talking about conservation as a 2%, um, committee member. So it's, uh, it's interesting how, what a small world it is. Right. Right. So I guess, so with the podcast, obviously we like to talk about, you know, quote unquote, ordinary people doing, um, extraordinary things in, in the world of conservation. So, right. so first tell me what it is that you do, uh, for a living. What's your day job, Zach? Um, I am a metal fabricator for a, uh, induction heat treat machinery building company in Madison Heights, Michigan. Okay. So manufacturing and which is, I mean, yep, yeah, exactly. We're both here in, in Metro Detroit, Southeast Michigan. So yeah, manufacturing plays a, a big role in yeah, many exactly. people's that's, lives. That's what most of the area is. Absolutely. Yeah. So as far as the outdoors and conservation goes, how was it that the outdoors was introduced to you or, you know, when did you kind of get your start hunting and fishing? Um, well, honestly, the outdoors itself have always been a major part of my life, my family's life, you know, as far as, uh, from fishing and camping and hunting, uh, hunting definitely took on later. Um, it came from a family of hunters on my mother's side, um, and grew up really watching that from the outside and basically being brought in, you know, at 12, 13, 14 years old. But uh, as far as fishing goes, you know, that's my dad had taken me fishing my entire life as far back as I can remember, you know, and uh, except family camping trips and other outdoor activities and stuff my whole life growing up. Now, are you originally from Southeast Michigan here? Yep. I'm born and raised in uh, Lincoln Park, Michigan, um, which is just south of Detroit, for those that don't know, and uh, have spent the majority of my life in this area. Yeah. Okay. So when you were 
you, when you were growing up and you were being introduced to, to hunting and fishing, were you doing all of that locally down here? Or were you like a lot of other people and, and had some opportunities to get up north and enjoy some of that? Right. Well, my family um, on my mother's side is basically from uh, the Alcona County area. So we spent a lot of time up there, you know, my grandparents and we had aunts and uncles up there. And so we spent a lot of time up there growing up and it's actually where my parents are at now. And, um, but yeah, there's definitely a, a fair bit of uh, fishing and whatnot going on in Southeast Michigan, you know, where my dad take me after work or on weekends locally and stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly, I mean, so I grew up in, in Northern lower Michigan, um, in the Gaylord area. Oh, um, yeah. I, I usually say Gaylord because most people have not heard of Lewiston, the town I actually grew up in. <laughs> no, right where that's at too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Asabold Big Creek. Yeah. There's a lot of real great, uh, trout streams right in that area. So, oh, yeah. um, so, uh, so we've kind of laid the groundwork a little bit here. We, you know, I, you told me when you were introduced to, uh, to hunting and fishing at an early age in the outdoors. So at what point was it that you decided to take a more active role in conservation? Um, you know, it's hard to pinpoint really, but I would say that a definite, uh, trigger or transition point would have been when I uh, had kids and started trying to take my first daughter out with us, uh, without, or out with me fishing and whatnot. And, um, you know, realizing that, you know, we need to try and do a little more to, uh, keep everything great for them and improve what's already there. And, uh, you know, just kind of keep it going for them really. Yeah, absolutely. And, And that's, that's the exact, reason or that was kind of the uh the turning point for me as well as is yeah, once i've I... heard that a lot honestly with people you know i mean and we all know that you know parenthood does does something to you that's for sure and uh you know it's um it was definitely a turning point i guess you'd say without even realizing it really you know but that's that's basically where i can start tracing a lot of it too you know because it's been in the last four or five years when i've taking a more active approach to conservation activities and being involved with orgs like this. So now speaking of organizations, you, uh, well, why don't you go ahead and tell, uh, tell our listeners what, um, uh, what organizations that you're involved with in. Uh, well, like you mentioned, I sit on the, uh, 2% for conservation regional committee where, uh, you know, we go around trying to get businesses certified and or two percent certified. Um, I also sit on the board of directors for the state of Michigan chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and I sit on the conservation and policy board for Michigan United Conservation Clubs for the this region of the state. Okay, so some pretty um, some pretty active roles with the with the the organizations that you mentioned there. So first I want to talk about your role with BHA because, uh, at least for me, I've really started to notice, uh, BHA in the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because I wasn't looking before, Right. Uh, I know that it's still a relatively, um, new organization, uh, yeah, yeah. In, in terms of, you know, longevity. Um, so what was it about BHA that, that drew you in? Um, honestly, one of the bigger things that pulled me to BHA when I was kind of exposed to it was the, uh, 
the younger demographic and the bipartisan approach to it that I really seen at the time um, amongst its member base. Um, and the fact they're trying to get a lot more boots on the ground activities going, you know, and uh, I think part of it might have been, you know, the fact that I saw them was, uh, I don't know how to word it, but like, uh, they put themselves out there. So I was able to see them, you know, and uh, I really liked that idea as far as getting out there and showing people that we can get out and do stuff like that. And, you know, the conservation efforts that, that were going on. Yeah. Now you had mentioned um, member, or you know, bipartisan members, members, you know, on the left, mm-hmm. on the right, which yep. for some organizations isn't exactly the case out there. Um, as you know, someone who sits on the board of directors for the Michigan chapter, have you noticed an issue with that? I mean, without getting too political here, but I mean, have you noticed an issue with, you know, left side, right side when it comes to things like that? Within conservation in general? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, we, we tend to see our hook and bullet crowd leaning more right, you know, and, and uh, you know, there's room for everyone at the table, you know, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, there are people that utilize the outdoors that might not necessarily be, you know, of the hook and bullet crowd, but BHA can speak for them and, you know, advocating for public lands and waters like they do, you know. Yeah, and that's that's what's... Uh interesting or, or what I find interesting about BHA is because you, you look at um, a conservation group like RMEF, for example, where in their tagline, you know, hunting is conservation, which I 1000% agree with, right. you know, obviously. Yep. Um, but with, with BHA, while their, you know, members are obviously very active um, uh, hunters and fishers and things like that, they're also the big pushes for access to public land, which encompasses a whole everyone exactly it encompasses a whole group of people um and including those that don't hunt or fish so that's one thing that i really like excuse me about bha same here so is that how long were you a member of bha before you you took a more active role as as being on the board of directors um well i just started on the board of directors uh the beginning of this year but Throughout last year, and I think some of the year prior, um, I was in what we refer to as a district leader position. We have, I think, uh, seven or nine districts broken up. I think seven districts broken up into the state. And uh, I was leading the district for Southeast Michigan and basically trying to just focus on conservation efforts around our area down here in the Metro Detroit area. So what what exactly does that role entail? Um, you know, being on the board of directors or how many people are on the board? Um, our board right now, I believe is 12 members. I could be mistaken. Um, we just, we just voted a few um, people on and had a couple, couple holes to fill. Yeah. I saw, I I saw that there were some new members just added. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think it is 12 offhand, but, uh, I could be mistaken, (laughs) but, um, as far as what we do, um, basically just, you know, we meet monthly in a, in a phone call or whatever and, um, discuss what we want to try and get done. And honestly, I, I, to a point I'm kind of limited on what I can speak on in that regard this year because of all the COVID stuff going on. Um, because everything we normally would be planning has been canceled. 
So right. we haven't been able to schedule any pint nights, you know, haven't been able to discuss logistics for any of the other events. Um, you know, we were working on um, a party with the Meat Eater Live event that was coming. That was supposed to be here on uh, June 4th or whatever. Yeah, I was supposed obviously to be in attendance that, for that yeah, too. Yeah, yep, same here. And uh, obviously that all got canceled. So, so as far as, yeah, what we've been trying to do since I've been on the board you know, not much <laughs> because like I said, we're coming out of all the COVID stuff. Now we're, uh, we're working on planning the, uh, state rendezvous right now. I know that. Um, and then uh, I don't really do too much on the events aspect. Um, I kind of want to try and focus on conservation efforts themselves and our three efforts. Um, so like, you know, last year for our three, we did held the, um, uh, field the fork and uh, hunting for sustainability program through uh, partnership with QDMA where we uh, mentored a bunch of new hunters and stuff throughout the year. So we did that for turkey and for deer in various locations throughout the state. And uh, I was able to help out with the one we did in October down here in uh, Waterloo Rec area. So that was definitely cool. Yeah, that field to fork program, um, I had Mark Haslam on from QDM, or he's a member mm-hmm. of QDMA um, down in Georgia uh, a few weeks back, and they did a, one of their, uh, a mentor hunt on uh, their um, farm that they have actually in South Carolina, and uh, yeah. it, I mean, it's a it's a great program to get people involved that, you know, don't, maybe don't necessarily have the means, or, you know, just, they just don't have anyone to take, to take right. them, you know, yeah. to show them the ropes. Um, yeah, it's definitely a great program. I know, I mean, mentoring period is a great idea because a lot of people just don't know what avenues to approach to, to learn about it, you know? Well, yeah, and it can be it can be a little intimidating, too. I mean, if you're you know, yeah. a 30-something-year-old male or, you know, I'm just kind of speaking for, for my well, general yeah, demographic. I, I mean, for, for me to want to get into hunting, I mean, I would, it, to me, it would, it would be intimidating for me to be like, Hey Zach, you know I came across you on Instagram or Facebook or something. I see you really like the outdoors. Like, hey, would you mind teaching me some stuff? Right? Like, it, it kind of, it, it, you have to step out of your comfort zone a little bit to do that. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. You know, there's a, there's one, uh, a mentoring program that I'm a part of on. It's actually at base called Powder Hook. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, it is geared towards people learning, wanting to learn how to hunt or fish. And uh, you go on it, and you can find people within your region. Reach out to them. And uh, start picking their brain and hopefully meet up or whatever. Like I had one guy who was a little older than us, and uh, he's a firefighter in the Metro Detroit area, and he wanted to take on turkey hunting. Last fall, he reached out to me. He was he got out a few times during the fall. I was unsuccessful. But, um, you know, fall game's a lot different than spring game for birds. Yeah. And uh, he was able to get out this spring and harvest a really nice tom, and, you know, he credited me for helping him out throughout the way, and I just – Shared what I knew, you know, and we ended up just a lot of back and forth text messages and a couple phone calls, really, you know. See, and that's that's one thing about hunting and, and fishing is just the camaraderie ship between Absolutely. you know between people that are going out there. Yeah. So now, in terms of MUCC, um, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, um, I guess mm-hmm. for those listeners that don't know, it is. Um, it's the largest statewide conservation org in the nation, correct? I believe in the nation. It's definitely unique in what it is. I know it's one of the oldest conservation clubs in the country. Um, you know, it started right out of that era with, uh, you know, the duck stamp era and national wildlife federation, you know, and 
Ducks Unlimited all came about about the same time, 1935, six, seven, around there. Yep. And uh, it's definitely uh, definitely the biggest and oldest in Michigan for sure. Yeah. So how did you get hooked up with them? Um, I had been a member, you know, I mean, I've been, you know, growing up around here, we've heard of MECC our whole lives if you're in the outdoor, you know, into hunting or fishing. We always saw it on Michigan Outdoors TV, you know, all that stuff growing up. But uh, I'd been a member when I was a teenager, probably think for a couple of years. And it um, it was always in, in my mind and always saw it and whatnot. But a couple of years ago, uh, Pat Hogan reached out to me and asked about me getting involved a little more and uh, at their policy board level, um, basically wanting to, uh, you know, increase the age demographic around there a little bit, you know. If, now, you say you're you're uh, part of the policy board. What exactly does that entail? Because truth be told to me, when I hear someone say policy, my brain right. kinda, no, my I, brain kind of goes to mush. And uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of why you know you you can why I have the involvement with the two orgs you know i i really love mucc for what they do at the policy level and um so basically mucc is a grassroots organization that um essentially lobbies for hunters and anglers right are uh, issues in the state of, in lansing there and um so a member can any member of mucc can bring forth a resolution and the resolution process is brought forward at a conservation policy board meeting, which is quarterly. And basically, that resolution will be read to the meeting as a whole, and it will be picked apart, passed on, amended, what have you. And if it gets passed on, it goes on to our annual convention, whereby then it is voted on again, and usually amended a little more if it's not worded perfectly. So it's important to try and have your wording down right from the start. And then if it goes past and uh, is approved at convention, it will then be uh, lobbied on by our uh, actual lobbyists that MUCC has on staff. And um, whether it be in the legislature or through the NRC or whatever other means um, as far as what area it uh, fits to. So now how many um, bills or policies or things like that are you guys trying to get past uh, on a you know, quarterly, yearly basis? You know, that would be a question for Nick Green. I know <laughs> I'm supposed to talk to him soon. I do not know that offhand. I know that they're always at batting on something, though. Um, there's always something that they're working on. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that, we are reaping, you know, benefits of, or, you know, depending on what side of the argument you are, um, you know, some people might not be in favor of things that MUCC has gotten passed. You know, I know, uh, the most recent, <clears throat> most recent one I can think of that is affecting us was, uh, the Saturday Turkey opener in Michigan. That was a member brought resolution a couple years ago and, uh, they, uh, pushed for it and were able to get that implemented and it took effect this year as opposed to Turkey season starting on a Monday. Yeah, and I would suppose people that were opposed to that are probably people who are, you know, hunting local. Um, yeah, that have spots scouted out, and you know, if you have people coming into town um, to hunt your area, you know, it just increases the likelihood that you may run into other hunters out there. At least that's that's just a a quick guess of of why there would be yeah. some opposition. 
Yeah, it's true. I mean, I don't know. There's uh there's plenty of woods out there. There's plenty of land out there. Oh no, I I completely agree with that. <laughs> you know, it's uh, but I I did see some complaints about it, and now you know. I don't necessarily know if the the amount of people in the woods were due to the Saturday opener or due to the COVID restrictions that we were all dealing with around the, the Detroit area. Yeah, you know, I know that people were staying closer to home because of that. You know, yeah, it it definitely put a little bit of a crimp on my um, turkey season this year, um, and take it for what it's worth. But not being able to travel to um, a second Michigan home, which my in-laws have a, have a place up north, uh, mm-hmm. mid Michigan where I do a lot of hunting. Um, and they passed that or that stay at home or whatever you want to call it went through, uh, what the day before the Thursday right. or Friday before opening yeah, it was, day, it was a couple of days before opening day. I yeah. know that. Yeah. So now I know yeah. a lot of people still went, but yeah. And my brother-in-law did, um, but maybe I just chickened out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so as we talk a little bit more about MUCC, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on at this point, Zach, and, and talk to you, um, obviously being on the policy board of MUCC, um, the average conservationist, my company, we are actually collaborating with MUCC, um, starting July 1st, where we're going to have a, a collaborative t-shirt where 10%, um, of the sales of all those shirts are going to go back to MUCC. Uh, and then as, as part of the company, part of my company, um, I make quarterly donations to conservation groups based on sales from the website. So everything from July through September, um, 10% of all those sales are going to be going back to MUCC as well. So this was kind of a time when I, yeah. I you know, I wanted to have someone that represented MUCC, um, 2% for conservation, you know, all the, you know, these, these groups, um, Mm-hmm. Wanted to have someone on it, uh, you know, right to kind of kick off uh, the start of, um, you know, the summer with with this the uh, with the collaborative sales. Right. No, I think it's a great idea, and I, I know, like uh, I think you mentioned, the uh, first quarter of the year, you did the same thing with BHA, correct? Uh, so I did it with the um, uh, with the fourth quarter of last year. Yep. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, no. It's, oh, I, I really love your approach and uh, what you're doing with everything. I think it's a great idea. You know. Oh well. And I love the 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 fact you're bouncing around to different orgs every time. You know that that thing is pretty slick. Oh, thank you. Well, and and that's the thing is there's, I mean, there's so many conservation organizations out there, and especially mm-hmm. with the pandemic and you know everyone's going through the same struggles, and you know yeah. they're short on funding or you know new membership is down because you haven't been able to get to these, you know, outdoor shows and, you know, recruit new members and stuff. I mean, I know the one that we were at or we met at, you know, MUCC had a a very large booth set up. Um, I mean, it's right when you walk in the door. So, I mean, there's no getting past them. Yep. And I know a lot of those shows, a lot of, a lot of clubs rely on that show, not saying outdoor Ram specifically, but Mm -hmm. a lot of clubs rely on a specific show yearly for membership renewals for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people go to them with that thought, Oh, I got to renew there. You know, I'll make sure I'll sign up again, you know? So, so all the cancellations, they definitely, as we know, really took a toll on a lot of that stuff as far as conservation goes. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think one of the bigger things, that I wanted to do, uh, with donations this year was, was keep money close to home. I mean, that's why like, uh, my first quarter don't, yeah, my first quarter donation, um, 
went to a QDMA chapter of Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, this one will go to MUCC, which stays right in Michigan as well. I mean, I think uh, from a conservation standpoint, you got to protect, you know, your homeland, your home water first. Yep, I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about 2% for conservation. Um, it's a relatively new um, yep. organization, but how was it that, uh, that you found your way um, onto their committee? Um, well, let's say it was the beginning of last year when uh, Jared Frazier put out an email looking for committee members and I figured why not get involved with another thing that I'm already pressed for time on. <laughs> and uh, I knew the time commitment was pretty minimal and um, I thought it was kind of cool to help out something at the national level. And, uh, you know, I kind of saw it as like a, you know, and, and it's been explained like this too, is almost like a, a better business for conservation or a better business bureau for um for the outdoors kind of, you know, you know, who's giving back to, to conservation when you shop them, you know, through the list of businesses that have been 2% certified. Yeah. And I think it's great too, that, you know, not only, well, one that, that companies are giving back to conservation, but the fact that there's some, that there's an organization out there, there's a a group like 2% that wants to make sure that everyone else Mm -hmm. in the space knows um, which companies are giving back so that you can support them, I think it is a great right. thing. And that's why really for me, for, you know, when, uh, Dan Johnson approached me with the idea of, of this podcast, um, mm. and said, Hey, you know, with him being, a what is he a board? I believe he's a board, board member, of board of directors, right. For okay. 2% for conservation. Um, it just, and he was like, yeah, we can partner with them. And, you know, I, I think it would be something really good. And, you know, after speaking with Jared numerous times, yeah, the, the fit was there and it just made sense. Yep. And I, I, I actually was talking to Jared about that last week. You know, I, I think that having this new avenue to get the 2% message out there is going to be great, you know, as far as the podcast going, you know. And uh, I, I hope that it helps the, the whole mission grow, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing, you know. I said this on a previous podcast and that's really the reason I wanted to, to start my company was to, to, you know, celebrate guys like you, you know, guys that are, are going that extra mile, um, in terms of, of conservation where, like you said, you're already strapped for time, right? You've got a, you've got a family, you've got a job and here you are on, you know, the policy board for, for one, a board of directors for another and a committee member for, for a third, you know, that's, that's more than, a lot of people do in a lifetime of being involved in conservation. Yeah. Never thought of it like that, but yeah. Yeah. And, but I think that that's the the right attitude to have because just by that answer to me shows that you don't look at conservation as a competition, right? No, absolutely not. And, 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 you know, and one thing is, yeah, I love hunting and fishing, but truth be told, if I can be outside doing something, thing somewhat related to it or somewhat benefiting hunting or fishing i'm happy you know whereas i might not be able to go and have the best fishing or hunting experience within a half hour of home here but i can go and help clean up state game area that is a half hour from home and maybe get back there in the fall but i know that a lot of other people are going to be there utilizing it too you know well well that's you kind of hit the nail right on the head there you know just because you don't 
um, necessarily hunt or fish on on areas right next to to where you live because right. you know, like you said you have you know family up north or maybe you just you recreate somewhere else right right doesn't mean that other people have that same opportunity exactly. so the fact that you you know give your time to to an area that you may never even um, utilize I think says a lot about you know just the way you view conservation right. in the outdoors so kudos to you yeah yeah I thanks I and I, I look at it a lot like that too you know I've got one project that I'm trying to work on with uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and you know, if it comes through, like we're hoping it does, everyone involved with it or anyone that's involved with it isn't guaranteed to benefit from it. And, you know, the people that are reaching out to me that want to be a part of it, you know, when, when you see that, you definitely see that, man, you know, they're in it for the right reasons. Yeah. They want to see, yeah, positive change. I mean, I think it was, uh, uh, Jared and I were speaking, um, he's originally from Wisconsin and he was talking about all the, uh, conservation work done there. Um, to help restore the elk population. And he was, you know, mm-hmm. talking about guys who have been, you know, working on it and donating their time for 30 plus years, knowing that they were never going to have a chance to ever see it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I think, you know, selfless acts, um, of conservation like that are, are things that while the person committing them may not want to talk about them, I think that their story definitely needs to be heard in, in some way, shape or form. So this is going to be a very broad question. (laughs) Now, from a conservation standpoint, do you have any, I guess, like big goals or anything that you personally want to try to uh, achieve in conservation over the next, you know, three years, five years? I realize it's not uh, something that maybe you necessarily have a five-year plan for, but... Right. No, definitely not. Um I don't know. Let's say that is a broad question for sure. Um, you know, I guess if I had to answer it, I would just say, you know, making sure I stay involved and, uh, keeping myself from getting burnt out and, uh, trying to bring others into the fray. And, you know, one other thing I guess I could throw at it is, you know, keep, or, you know, make sure that this gets passed on to my kids, you know, cause in five years, yeah, they're going to really start seeing what we're doing. And, yeah. uh, you know, my, my wife and I both work hard on, you know, the, the outdoors aspect with our girls and, you know, trying to teach them everything as far as respecting nature and, you know, everything, everything outdoors really. Yeah. And that's, that's a great thing to pass on to your children. Now, would you say that like that was instilled into you, at a young age, like the, the giving back or the not taking the land for granted? Unknowingly until I was older. Absolutely. It's a, I don't know if you would call it a revelation or not, but yeah, definitely something that, uh, was instilled in me when I was younger as far as, you know, pack it in, pack it out, you know, leave it better than you found it kind of thing. Um, you know, I've said it before. It's like, I don't remember a fishing trip growing up where my dad didn't pack out or, build a fire on the shore of a river to burn trash that we came upon or whatever, you know, yeah. it was always, always there, you know, the tackle boxes were full of garbage when we left and, you know, if we found trash or whatever. And, uh, you know, so that definitely was instilled in me from a young age. Now, is that something that he had to, was it more like he led by example or did you guys have, you know, conversations about, you know, the importance of, of leaving it better than you found uh, it? 
I don't know if there's much conversation. I, I would say it's probably more example, you know, than anything. Yeah, I, I was you know, seeing the exact it. same way. Yeah. You know, I mean, because it's, it's hard to hard to explain the whys you know when you're to a young kid and you know it's probably also hard to understand the whys when you're a young kid yeah no i know but but seeing it happen just oh and then it might click one day you know yeah i i completely agree that especially you know at at young age i think kids Mm -hmm. they um they retain a lot more than maybe you realize um, based yes. on what you're doing, there's, there's no arguing in that. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, I have, uh, you know, my kids are quite a bit younger, um, but even some of the things that that they do that I didn't, that they're, you know, mimicking myself or my wife that, yeah. you know, I don't even realize. Yep, same here. Let's see, I've got a almost five year old and an almost two year old. So, okay, yeah, yours are just a little bit ahead of mine. I've got a, a three year old and a one year old. So, yep. So, you know, obviously we had uh, first, uh, or I first, I didn't realize at the time um, when I came across your your Instagram account, but uh, mm-hmm. you are a big fly fisherman, huh? Yep. I try to get out as often as I can. Yeah. So now, okay, so you love to fly fish. I'm, I'm with you mm-hmm. on that one. From a hunting standpoint, what is your favorite animal to hunt? I'd have to say deer by far, but turkey a very, very, very close second. Now, if you can only do one for the rest of your life. Oh, man. Gun, gun to my head question, huh? Yeah. I, it'd have to be deer. Or, or, are you saying you can only do one? Fishing? Yeah, no, you can only do one. You can only hunt whitetail, hunt turkey, or, or fly fish. Whew. Yeah, see? I'm coming with the heavy hitter yeah. questions today. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I could answer that, man. That's uh, shit. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I I don't think I could put a put a choice down out of those two. I really don't. Yeah. See, and I don't know because between white and I mean, you, and... you can fish year round, but I think about hunting year round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no. I don't. For, I don't know. There's I... no rut for trout fishing. Right? <laughs> no, and then you know, we shy away from it when we, during spawn season, you know? Exactly. Um, I, I can't answer that, man. <laughs> That's all right. I really put you on the spot with that one. Yeah, That's okay. yeah, yeah you did. Um, well, I mean... That's really all that I had for you, Zach. I, I, you know, I just, I really appreciate you taking some time to to hop on and and talk about the work that you're doing with um, BHA here in Michigan, with MUCC here in Michigan. Uh, I think it's, it's definitely something that, that needed to be discussed and people need to know about the work that you're doing. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, Say, I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Um, yeah, anytime really. I mean, there's there's always something to talk about, or if you want to discuss upcoming projects in the area when we finally get everything moving again, you know. I know MUCC's got a lot of stuff in the works. BHA, we're trying to get some stuff in the works. I've got a few things that I'm working on, you know, through both orgs and others uh, down in southeast Michigan area. And, you know, hopefully everything comes to fruition soon. Yeah, I mean, do you have a time frame on when you think some of that stuff, at least you'll have an idea? Um, well, I mean, I'm I'm hoping to do at least one cleanup down here this year yet. You know, uh, 
we always focus on state game areas when we do the cleanups. So yeah, any individual can go out and do those. But during all these restrictions, you you know, we weren't supposed to have any group events or any, you know, uh, con org sanctioned events, really. We couldn't put it out there if we were doing something. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I don't know what the hell that is. But, so now, um, sorry, as, as far as some of the, um, like the cleanup day and stuff that you mentioned, where can um, people in Michigan, where can they find out information on those, whether it's through MUCC or through BHA? Um, it, you know, I know both groups. We uh, typically post what's coming up. I know MUCC has their on-the-ground events, and those are pretty heavily advertised. And then as far as BHA events too, yeah, we, you know, they uh, tend to post them up a lot on, you know, social media. And, and you know, to a point, I don't like that everything's just so social media based um, because a lot of people aren't on it. Yeah. And so, you know, we end up holding an event and come across some random people and they have never heard of either or, or whatever, never heard of the event or didn't know anything about it, you know? So I don't know. There's other avenues I'm sure that could be explored. Yeah. And that's, what's tough with, uh, with the way everything's kind of trending or geared towards social media nowadays is there's, there's some people who just don't want to partake in social media. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, the only I like reason fish, I, I like fish picks. <laughs> yeah, and the only reason I think I I on social media as much as I am is because of of the company, right? You gotta, yeah. I mean, you oh, gotta I do the song and dance. Yeah. And I uh, I have a small side hustle, and that's part of why I'm on it, and. Uh, same with, uh, you know, and actually part of it is to stay up to date with all the conservation stuff and stay engaged with people, you know. Yeah, because as, as far as, I mean, if you're on social media and, I mean, it's definitely a great avenue to um, to get information and get it relatively quickly. Uh, I mean, I know today, uh, well, when this comes out, it, it's going to kind of be old news, but the Great American Outdoor Act, yes. I mean, I think that it was like three minutes after the vote finished and I, and I had seen the results on social media. So I mean, yeah, it's it's very quick. It's just huge, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The news spread fast for sure. You know, I had the, uh, the vote streaming in my headphones at work today, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, today uh, was, is going to go down as, as history. It's absolutely historical, man. This is, you know, generational. This is huge. People won't realize it until we read it in the books, man. Yeah. Yeah. Our, yeah generations from now are going to be looking back at 2020 as i mean there's a global pandemic you know there's riots yeah. if and, there's one shining star to come out of this year this is definitely one of them you know yeah and it's and and thankfully it's something that you know every outdoorsman and outdoors woman can celebrate and be happy about and it's it's going to benefit everybody i mean we are all familiar with you know the the benefits of the land water conservation fund and it's, you know, old name, I guess you could call it now, you know, but, uh, I mean, every County across the country has benefited from it in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And, you know, now that just needs to, to go through the house and then, you know, be signed into law, but I'm, I'm extremely confident that, you know, those, those two things will, will happen quickly with, with how the vote turned out in the Senate today. Yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty low on the no votes. I think it was 23 or 27 nay. And, uh, you know, hopefully those people get some angry phone calls. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure their constituents are not going to be too happy with them. 
but uh, no, it's it's definitely it's it's definitely historical, and um, yeah, I'm glad it went through. Yeah. You know, we've been we've been fighting for it for quite some time, you know, and it's been changed and added to over the last you know however many years, and uh, that was actually one of my first uh, BHA involvements was uh, I was kind of put on the spot one day. I got a call from our regional coordinator asking if I could come to a meeting the next day downtown Detroit with Senator Stabenow for us to discuss the Land and Water Conservation Fund. And, you know, I said, wow, uh, yeah, sure, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, jump right into the deep end, huh? Yep, pretty much. So. Well, that's good, man. I mean, yeah, like like you said, it's it's going to benefit everyone who – who loves the outdoors or who recreates outdoors. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's yeah, a, a lot of good is going to come from this. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. So. Well, all right, Zach, I appreciate the time, man. Um, stay yep, safe. Out there. You as well. All right. Take care, man. All right. Bye. All right. Big thank you to Zach for hopping on the podcast today and talking about conservation here in Michigan. Uh, if you'd like to help support conservation, you can check out, my website, theaverageconservationist.com, where 10% of sales go back to conservation. Uh, would like to thank our partners over at Stone Glacier. You can check them out at stoneglacier.com. Uh, also like to thank our other partner, 2% for Conservation. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support uh, when you're shopping for your various hunting or fishing gear, uh, coffee, your guiding services, um, books, really anything that you can think of. Um, I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media uh, where you're going to see nothing but very positive conservation-driven content uh, coming out of their feeds. Uh, again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on their social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a safe and happy 4th of July. Uh, and remember that conservation starts with you.